Greetings fellow captains and welcome back to Rank Amateur. Today in Rank Amateur we will be featuring the Tier 9 Tech Tree US Navy Battleship, the Iowa. And I just unlocked this ship and have been playing it and have been enjoying it so much. It is such an improvement over the North Carolina. I am excited to tell you about it. But as usual, before we get into anything about uh, ship history, we're going to go through World of Warships news. Um, and actually, a lot of ha has happened in World of Warships. Uh, first big thing is the introduction of a new season of Ranked Battles. And uh, this is going to be the third season. And the cool thing about the third season is that it spans more tiers. So you got Bronze uh, League, which is going to be tiers 6 and 7. Yes, you heard me right, 6 and 7. So we can get out your Arizonas, your Dunkirks, your Sharonhorsts, and uh, be able to play them. And then the Silver League is going to be tiers 8 and 9. And I believe the Gold League is tiers, just tier 10. Yes. All right, so tiers 8 and 9 is in Silver League. And then tier 10 is Gold League. So that is um, very cool. I've been playing a few of them. I only played three battles, and I lost all three of them. <laughs> um, uh, because, yeah, I mean, when you play in your purse, there's only so much you can do to carry the game. And you have, like, 120,000 damage in a purse. Your team still manages to just hemorrhage um, uh, ships at such a rate you can't, uh, you can't kill the enemy fast enough. Yeah, so that was... Uh, that was a bit interesting of ranked battles, but um, we also have update 10.4 coming out. That was uh, German Destroyers Part 2. Uh, lots of different things coming out there. So we got, obviously, a second part of German Destroyers. We got Battle of the Beasts. And uh, Battle of the Beasts is just kind of like a, a team objective-based um, sort of, uh, I guess, game... Not game mode, but like... So it's kind of like missions, except you work with people. So you, sp you pick a... One of four different beasts of the German kind of um, uh, folk folklore. So I, uh, I'm not even pretend that I uh, know how to pronounce these names of these creatures. But uh, you pick one, and then you do uh, certain missions. And then the more the more missions you do, the more you progress uh, through this little like tree. And then you can um, you can get uh, commanders. You can get um, you also get uh, beast tokens, and you can get the uh, Jutland containers, um, which are pretty good. I bought three of them with the balloons. You can also buy them with the balloons, and um, I only got camouflages and credits. I was really hoping for the 7,500 coal, because I am very, very close to being able to get uh, the Pomern through coal, so uh, it's just, just right about there. just need a few thousand more coal. And we'll be able to get there. Anyways, um, you can, uh, the containers can also drop Tier 3 Koenig Albert. And you can also drop the Agincourt, um, which are is a Tier 3 uh, German battleship and a Tier 5 uh, British battleship, respectively. I've heard the Agincourt's uh, really good. It's uh, pretty fun to play because it is kind of a secondary ship, even though it's British. It's got um, 12, 14, no, 12, 12 inch guns. Or no, no, 14. Let me do my math here. So, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14. Yeah, 14 12-inch guns. So, 
yeah, that that'll be fun to play. I haven't bought it, but uh, it's very tempting looking at it. Uh, there's also a few uh, game balance changes and things. A uh, new thing that they're doing is an auction, so you can uh, bid on uh, 100,000 coal. British commander Adrian Griffith, uh, Griffiths with uh, 14 skill points and then 20 rising expendable camouflages or the Thunderer commemorative flag. Um, and essentially there's like a few thousand winners for each of those and then you have to bid. And then once you're like outbid by, by 5,000 people, you have to raise your bid. Um, so that'll be cool to try and bid on if you have 25 million credits to throw out 100,000 coal. Uh, but if you don't win, they don't. You get your uh, whatever you bet back. So it's not like you lose it, even though you might not gain anything. They also changed rewards. I don't think for rewards, it seems to be that they've they've updated the interface to it. And um, or I mean uh, achievements. Excuse me, not rewards. Achievements. They've updated the interface, and you don't get rewards for um, the achievements anymore. They just added more missions to replace that. So it sh they said it should be easier to get more signals now. Uh, so ranked battles, uh, there's going to be a new brawl. Um, so yeah, you're going to be playing tier 10 ships, unfortunately. So the restrictions are one aircraft carrier, two battleships. If the team has one aircraft carrier, there could be no more than one battleship on that team. There's two cruisers and two destroyers. Rewards is 10,000 gold, 2.25 million credits, and 80,000 yeah, 80, uh, elite commander XP, and they just say lots of uh, signals. Um... That's unfortunate because you can't use a Pomeran, so, yeah. Oh, well, Pomerans are, like, the best brawlers, and I think that's probably why they have it at Tier 10, so people don't just spam Pomerans, because uh, when the brawls were Tier 9, pretty much all there was was Georgias and Pomerans, and Gears and um, Alaskas. New clan battles, uh, if you do that, I'm sure you already know about it. Uh, there's different daily shipments now. Uh, you can get up to 1,200 coal through them and lots of different random containers. Um, and the armory. So, yes, there's some new ships coming to the armory. First, we have the Tier 8 British um, uh, light cruiser, the Tiger 59. The ship did exist. It was the last um, artillery cruiser produced for the British Royal Navy. And it looks very attractive. It's basically a Belfast because it has... Specialized repair teams, uh, which is a super heal, um, and then it has uh, uh, surveillance radar, a smoke generator, and defensive AA fire. It's available for eleven thousand three hundred doubloons starting May twenty eighth, and I think I'm gonna have to just shell out the money to get this thing because it looks pretty attractive. It's got um, it's tier eight, but it has uh, two of Minotaur's turrets, and uh, they have like a 2.7 second reload or something like that. So it, it can only fire armor piercing, but it looks basically like a down-tiered Minotaur. Then there's also the Issy from June 4th, which is essentially, if people here know about history, uh, and you probably do, the Issy was a hybrid aircraft carrier uh, battleship uh, that the Japanese uh, converted from just a normal battleship to an aircraft, or to like a half aircraft carrier thing after a bunch of their aircraft carriers were sunk at the Battle of Midway. So it has uh, eight rapid-firing 356mm guns with a good reach, and it has a torpedo bomber squadron, which isn't controlled by the player, I don't think. I haven't seen any, like, actual videos on the Issy, but it seems uh, that you just kind of target a ship and then the... They're, they're like bots, and they go fly and attack from the best angle or something like that. 
Uh, so that could be interesting. I think the planes are a little bit weaker than standard carrier planes, though, so they might get shot down easier. Which I guess is good, though, because then you don't want to get spammed by freaking carrier planes from a battleship. Um, there's also new camouflage for Shikishima, and then there's also just some miscellaneous content additions and changes. Um, obviously, we got the Tiger 59. Um, okay, so they're adding the Agincourt, uh, the Kone Galbert. Uh, Tiger 59, um, they're also adding the Weimar, I don't think that, is that, that's coming out, I think, when the Tiger 59 comes out as well, and then they also have a different, uh, camouflage for the Bayern, and, uh, there's some new flags that they're coming out with, uh, that you can, um, get, and they've also added the Dutch tech tree to, um, the, uh, public test server for they've been added for testing and uh they've also added the tier 8 congress which is the uh central district tier 8 alaska so um that should be pretty interesting and we i am uh, very keen to see how that turns out um there's new uh combat missions for update 10.4 and that's the hunt for bismarck uh and this is because it's the 80th anniversary of the sinking of the Bismarck. And uh, you can complete the, the chain of combat missions, and then the, the final reward is going to be a commemorative flag and a patch. So that should be cool. Um, there's combat missions for earning signals now. There's coupons for the armory. Um, those coupons are going to be expiring on um, uh, Thursday, June 17th, 8 p.m. Central Time. And then uh, after the state day, we'll refresh. So um, it says after the state coupons, it will provide a 25% discount on ships will become available. Um, I don't know if that's going to be for ships for coal or steel. So if you want to get ships for coal and steel, I suggest you probably hurry up and try and spend your coupons because they will be refreshing. Um, and that is it for World of Warships news, it appears. Uh, lots of stuff happening. There's... Um, yeah, lots of stuff going on, so uh, definitely check out the armory. There's some new stuff that's in there, some very nice stuff as well. Permanent camouflage, there's all sorts of um, containers and things. You got that uh, Jutland container. The Jutland container conta could contain um, uh, 7,500 okay, 7, coal, 20,000 free XP, 1.2 million credits, 12 special signals of the same type, uh, four, or 14 battle Jutland camouflages, uh, permanent camouflage for Agincourt, permanent camouflage for Conan Galbert, uh, the Agincourt with a port slot and commander with 10 skill points, or the Conan Galbert with a port slot and commander with 10 skill points. So that is uh, that is actually it now for World of Warships news, and I will catch you in a second when we come back for the history of USS Iowa. Welcome back to Rank Amateur. So glad you're here to see the history of USS Iowa, the last class, or the lead ship, the last class of battleships built for the U.S. Navy ever. And she served for a very, very long time. So she was ordered, or so she's named for the state of Iowa, which, uh, if you don't know the United States geography, maybe because you don't live in the United States, um, it's a state that's pretty much smack dab in the middle of the lower 48. Um, very boring state, been there, it's cornfields for as far as the eye can see, and I'm not kidding about this, you can go up on a tower in Iowa and literally only see cornfields. Yeah, so, anyways, 
Uh, the ship was ordered on the 1st of July, 1939. She was built in New York Naval Yard. Uh, she was laid down on June 27th, 1940. Launched on August 27th, 1942. Commissioned on February 22nd, 1943. Um, this is when she was initially commissioned. Uh, she was decommissioned and recommissioned several times. Uh, her last decommissioning ceremony took place in... Um, or on the 26th of October, 1990. And she was only stricken from the Naval Register on March 17th, 2006. That's not that long ago. Um, and her home port was uh, Norfolk, Virginia, and I have been there. That is where the Iowa-class battleship USS Wisconsin is permanently moored, and I actually went on the USS Wisconsin. Uh, anyways... So her hull symbol is BB-61, and uh, she received 11 battle stars and is currently a museum ship on display at the Pacific Battleship Center at the Port of Los Angeles. And then uh, she's also the last lead ship of any class of battleship for the United States, as I said before. All right, so she displaced 45,000 long tons, um, standard or 57,500 long tons fully loaded, uh, she had a length of 887 feet 3 inches, a beam of 107 feet 2 inches, a draft of 37 feet 2 inches full load. Oh, and those sizes are 270.43 meters, uh, 32.97 meters, and 11.33 meters, uh, respectively. So uh, 37 feet in the water, fully loaded. That's crazy how deep that ship goes. Uh, she was a fast battleship, so her propulsion consisted of eight Babcock and Wilcox uh, M-Type 600 uh, PSI dual-furnace-controlled superheated boilers. That's a mouthful. Um, she had four engine sets, so uh, high-pressure and low-pressure turbines with a reduction gear for a total of 212,000 ho uh, shaft horsepower. She had four shafts, and she had four boiler rooms and four engine rooms. Uh, they were split up so that a single torpedo hit could not knock out the entire uh, ship's power supply. Uh, she had a maximum speed of 33 knots, which is very, very fast. It was the fastest uh, class of battleships in the world. And uh, she had a complement of 151 officers, 2,637 enlisted, and that was in World War II. Um, so her armament varied wildly because she was modernized in 1984 with, like, you know, missiles and stuff, which they didn't have in World War II. So in World War II, she carried 9 16-inch or 406mm 50 caliber Mark 7 guns. She had 25-inch 127mm 38 cal Mark 12 guns, uh, 76-40mm 56 caliber anti-aircraft guns, and 52-20mm uh, 70 caliber anti-aircraft cannons. And uh, those last two were um, Bofors and Orlikans, respectively. In 1984, she carried 9 16-inch, 406mm, 50 caliber Mark 7 guns, only 12 5-inch, 127mm, 38 caliber Mark 12 guns, 32 BGM-109 Tomahawk cruise missiles with a range of like 1,800 miles or something like that. So yeah, so um, I live in the state of Wisconsin, so if the USS Wisconsin were to load up one of the Tomahawk cruise missiles all the way out in Norfolk, Virginia... And to send one my way, it could hit me, as I'm sitting in Wisconsin right now, with pinpoint precision. So yeah, there is no safe place from these ships. There really isn't. Um, and then she also had uh, 16 RGM-84 Harpoon anti-ship missiles, as well as four 20mm 76 caliber phalanx uh, CIWS, so close-in weapon systems. And that's the 8,000 whatever rounds per 
like minutes uh, machine guns that they ha you can see on aircraft carriers they kind of look like they have like a top hat sort of thing it's like a white kind of dome that sticks out of the top of the gun uh, her armor uh, consisted of enough armor to bounce an Exocet missile, <laughs> the ones that sank HMS Sheffield in the Falkland War. The Iowa's armor belt consisted of 12.1 or uh, inches or 307 millimeters of armor. The bulkheads had 11.3 or 287 millimeters of armor. The barbettes had 11.6 to 17.3 inches of armor, so 495 or 295 to 439 millimeters. The turrets had 19.5 inches or 495 millimeters of armor. And the decks, or the main deck, had 38 millimeters of armor. And the second deck had 6 inches of armor or 152 millimeters of armor. So she, uh, she carried some interesting uh, aircraft as well. So in 1943, she could be uh, seen with the... Um, OS-2U Kingfisher bombers, or not bombers, observation planes, and then in 1984, she could see, be seen with a, uh, sea, a Seahawk helicopter or um, some other variety of um, uh, U.S. Navy helicopter, and she also did carry a UAV, which was for targeting purposes. It replaced the OS-2U in spotting, so um, one time the USS Wisconsin was actually bombarding a... Um, uh, a Iraqi city in Desert Storm, and the Iraqis f saw the targeting drone with BB-64 on the side of it, and then promptly surrendered to the drone because they knew that wherever the drone was, the nine, uh, 406mm guns were not too far behind. And to put in perspective how powerful these guns were, a high-explosive shell from these guns could penetrate 21 feet. Yes, feet of concrete. Not 21 inches of concrete, 21 feet of reinforced concrete. So yeah, and they hurled a 600 or hurled a 2,100 pound shell, I believe, with 600 pounds of explosive munitions on the end of it. So yeah, that uh, that was um, yeah they were they were very very big ships, and they're some of the biggest ships in World of Warships to actually be built. Because remember, things like the Grosse Kurfürst and the Frederick the Great were never built. So, uh, on to the service history of USS Iowa. So, on February 24th, uh, 1943, Iowa was put to sea for a shakedown cruise on Chesapeake Bay and along the Atlantic coast. And then she got underway on the 27th of August for Argentina, Newfoundland, or Argentina and Newfoundland to counter the threat of the German battleship Tirpitz, which was reportedly operating in Norwegian waters. Why you go to Newfoundland? I have no clue. <laughs> and then she returned to the United States for uh, two weeks of maintenance on October uh, 25th in the Norfolk Navy Yard. And in November 1943, the Iowa was uh, redesigned slightly, or modified, uh, to carry President Roosevelt, the Secretary of State Cordell Hall, or Hull, rather, Chief of Staff Admiral William D. Lange, or Lange, um, Chief of Staff of the Army General George C. Marshall, Chief of Naval Operations Ernest King, Commanding General U.S. Army Air Forces uh, Henry Hap Arnold, uh, Harry Hopkins, and other uh, military leaders to Mers el Kaber, uh, which is a French port in the Mediterranean, uh, actually in Algeria. And uh, this was the first leg of the journey to the Tehran Conference, in which uh, the Allied leaders, Winston Churchill, Joseph Stalin, and Franklin D. Roosevelt, were to meet to discuss, well, what they were going to do when they started, when they um, stopped kicking the crap out of the Germans. Um, and then 
Iowa was uh, refitted with some more luxurious facilities, such as a bathtub for Franklin D. Roosevelt, who was paralyzed in 1921 from polio. Uh, so he could not make use of the ship's current showering facilities, because that requires you to stand up, and he couldn't. W- at least without the assistance of like uh, poles and things like that to, for him to brace himself on. So uh, that bathtub is still there in the museum ship, and uh, obviously you want this... Uh, ship to be heavily defended because it's carrying some of the highest ranking people or most important people in the United States at the time. So uh, among the vessels escorting Iowa on this trip was destroyer William T. Porter, which uh, was involved in several mishaps, most serious of which involved a torpedo drill, which went um, awry when a torpedo from William D. Porter discharged from its tuned habit towards the Iowa. So, yeah, mm -hmm. Uh, stupid friendly fire situations do occur in real life, not just in World of Warships. Um, The IO was warned uh, of the uh, event, though, and turned hard um, to avoid being hit by the torpedo, and torpedo detonated in the ship's wake, which has got to be pretty scary. Um, And the Iowa was uh, undamaged, it was unscathed, um, and uh, trained the guns on the William D. Porter, and you'd be like, well, why is it doing that? Because they thought that the William D. Porter had mutinized and that they were trying to assassinate the high-class staff on board. So um, the Iowa was about ready to blast the well, uh, their own dis- escorting destroyer out of the water, even though it was just an accident. So that, I'm sure, was a pretty tense situation as you're the captain of this destroyer staring down nine 406-millimeter guns about ready to blow you out of the water or blow you out of existence. Um, By the way, these guns are capable of leveling a small town. Yes, um, there was one time in uh, 1991 when one of these ships fired on an Iraqi position and leveled not just the position but the surrounding most of the surrounding village. So, yeah. That's uh, pretty interesting. All right, well, the next thing that the Iowa did that was uh, remotely interesting was uh, joining Battleship Division 7 um, and departing the United States on January 2nd, 1944 for the Pacific Ocean, where she was going to engage, well, the Japanese, because that's kind of the only thing that's lurking in the Pacific Ocean right now. Um, So she was uh, to support the campaign for the Marshall Islands, um, and then she supported carrier airstrikes made by Rear Admiral Frederick C. Sherman's Task Group 58.3 against the Kowalajin and Imetwak Islands. Uh, her next assignment was to support yet more airstrikes, and this was against a major Japanese base at Turk Caroline Islands. And um, the Iowa was actually detached um, to support or from the support group on the 16th of February, 1944, and they were just going to basically conduct an anti-shipping sweep around the island, just kind of check to make sure that there's no Japanese um, uh, supply ships coming back to the island or ships trying to escape, and if there were ships trying to escape, they were to either capture them or sink them. And they actually did find a ship that was the Japanese light cruiser Katori. And for uh, those of you who, who play World of Warships, you may recognize Katori as the Tier 3, or used to be Tier 1, now Tier 3, light cruiser, a Japanese light cruiser. This is the ship, and it was sunk by direct gunfire from the Iowa and her sister ship, New Jersey. And uh, this is, uh, and the Katori was trying to escape um, Operation Hailstone, which was that U.S. air attack that happened the day before. So that I find uh, quite interesting because... Uh, like ship on ship actual gunfire action is pretty uh seldom to come by in uh, world war ii history so that is 
uh, quite interesting that she actually did use her guns on a role other than shore bombardment. And from February to April of that year, she was tasked with uh, escorting uh, aircraft carriers and just protecting them from uh, air attack and uh, shore bombardment. And when she was uh, bombarding a Mili Atoll in the Marshall Islands, she was struck by two Japanese 120mm projectiles. Um, the damage was neg negligible and uh, did not require immediate repair, so the Iowa uh, rejoined Task Force 58 on March 30th um, and supported more airstrikes against the Palau Islands. I'm just going to kind of abbreviate the history of World War II for um, the Iowa now because it starts to get a little bit boring. It's just shore bombardment and um, escort duties, although she did participate in the Marianas Turkey shoot, um, which she claimed four planes or and one assist. So four plane kills and then one assist uh, in splashing another. And um, that's basically all she did for uh, July uh, of that year. So that was June, the Marianas Turkey shoot, and then July is um just more support of landings and things like that um so unfortunately not super interesting so we'll kind of uh press the fast forward button on history a little bit here and we have once again arrived on an interesting thing so this uh was the next thing that uss iowa participated in was the battle of the philippine sea or uh, Philippine Islands, rather, um, and it was the Operation Shogo One, which uh, was the Japanese last last ditch counterattack um, to prevent the American recapture of the Philippines. And essentially, what happened is that the Japanese were going to lure the Americans out with their remaining car carriers, and they were going to pretend like they were retreating, kind of like a false retreat that you can see in the Mongols kind of pioneer way back in the 12 and 1300s and the 1400s too. Um, so they, they were just going to lure them away, and then they were going to hit the American beachheads and any ships that were protecting the beachheads very hard with uh, um, large surface ships. And actually present at that battle was the IJN Yamato, which uh, most history buffs will know as the largest battleship the world has ever seen with its 18.1 inch or 460 millimeter guns. Um, so essentially what happens is... Uh, the Americans bite this hook, line, and sinker. Uh, Admiral William Bull Halsey, which I don't even know why he's in World of Warships, because he seems like a pretty crappy admiral if he couldn't see that coming, um, uh, believed that this force that had uh, was retreating in the fake retreat was just kind of the remains of the Japanese fleet, and he was going to steam after them to make sure that they were put out of their misery. So he sent all of his ships, not just a few, Basically, all of his ships, except for a few destroyers and the escort carriers, which are too slow to keep up with the fast battleships, steaming at full uh, full ahead to go capture or sink these last Japanese carriers. Well, just as about uh, these Japanese carriers were going to get in range of the Iowa's guns, word comes in that, wait a second, this was just a diversion. The Japanese are hitting hard with um, their surface heavy surface units, and they are attacking the small uh, fleet that is left uh, to defend the U.S. beachheads. And um, the threat to American beachheads was pretty imminent, so Halsey turned his ships around, sailed them back at full speed, and um, they were just about to get there, but the fierce resistance put up by the 7th Fleet at the Battle of Samar had already caused the Japanese to retire, and the Iowa was once again denied surface action. And uh, following the Battle of this Leyte Gulf, Iowa remained in waters off the Philippines, just screening carrier uh, task force until she sailed to the west coast in December 1944. 
And on the 18th of December, uh, 1944, Typhoon Cobra unexpectedly hit the force of uh, Task Force 38. Um, the whole force, which consisted of seven fleet carriers, six light carriers, eight battleships, 15 cruisers, and about 50 destroyers. Um, and this would normally be no big deal because these were large ocean-going ships, uh, but they were refueling. So when you're refueling, often you shift your ballast around so you can account for the more the weight and fuel that's going to come and kind of affect the balance of your ship. Uh, so they were in, several destroyers were in the middle of doing this. Um, the typhoon suddenly hit them and overtook them and sank three destroyers: the Hull, the Monaghan, and the Spence. Uh, you might recognize the Monaghan. Uh, as being from World of Warships. Yes, the Monaghan in World of Warships was sunk in Typhoon Cobra in 1944. Um, so it, gave, it was, uh, came on with very little warning, and uh, we nearly lost more ships than this uh, because of the uh, ballast and things that had been moved around when they were refueling. They were very unstable and just vulnerable to capsizing, even with just uh, relatively large waves. And not only were three uh, destroyers sunk with nearly all hands, uh, approximately 790 officers and uh, enlisted men were lost or killed, with another 80 injured. Uh, five uh, fires occurred in carriers as planes and fuel broke loose in the hangars and started to smash around in kind of a messy soup. And... Uh, 146 planes on various ships were either swept overboard or damaged beyond economical repair by fires or just smashing around in um, uh, aircraft hangars. So if you want to know what mashed aircraft looked like, well, these men found out. Uh, the Iowa reported zero injured sailors, but the, she lost a float plane and she had damage to a propeller shaft, which required that she return to the United States for repairs, where she arrived on the 15th of January, 1945. Also, there was a cruiser, five aircraft carriers, and three three other destroyers suffered serious damage in the um, typhoon. So it was it was not a cool day for them. And then uh, Iowa's next mission was to bombard Japan, for which she sailed on the 19th of March, 1945, for Okinawa, arriving there on the 15th of April, which is much faster, if you'll notice, than uh, the slower ships that we've been uh, going over on this podcast. Um, an aid to establish and maintain air superiority over ground forces during their struggle for the island. So, I mean, not like air superiority, more just kind of clear the skies of any aircraft. Just and establish a no-fly zone. Um, and then she supported airstrikes off Kyushu from the 25th of May to the 13th of June. And afterwards, she uh, sailed toward northern Honshu and Hakodo. Uh, and participate in strikes on the Japanese home islands from the 14th of uh, uh, on the 14th and 15th of July by bombarding Moron, Hokaku, and destroying steel mills and other large obvious targets. And um, they just kind of began shelling just the crap out of the Japanese islands. So there's there's at this point no hope for the Japanese. They're they're done. Um, uh, in the 27th of August, Iowa and her sister ship Missouri entered Sagamai Bay to oversee the surrender of the Yokosuka Naval Arsenal. And uh, you might recognize Yokosuka as being a U.S. Navy base now, a very large U.S. Navy base. And that is how it happened. It was captured by USS Iowa and USS Missouri. Um, and then two days later, she entered Tokyo Bay with the occupation forces essentially from... Uh, they were just going to go take the islands while the Japanese were figuring out the surrender documents. And if they didn't agree to surrender, they just, you know, beat the crap out of them. 
And then, so a number of sailors from Missouri were temporarily stationed on the Iowa for the duration of the surrender ceremony uh, because, you know, um, there's a lot of diplomats that have to come on the Missouri to uh, kind of agree to the surrender documents and whatever they have to do. And then she was served at as Admiral Halsey's flagship for the surrender ceremony on uh, the 2nd of September, and Iowa remained in the bay as part of the occupying force. After the... Uh, as uh, rather, as part of the ongoing Magic Carpet, uh, or Operation Magic Carpet, she was tasked with bringing back uh, U.S. Uh, soldiers and other uh, military personnel um, and uh, U.S. prisoners of war, and uh, she was charged with bringing them back to the United States. And after she was um, uh, part of, or after she participated in the occupation force, she returned to Seattle, Washington on October 15th, 1945. And this is kind of when the in and out of reserve just kind of begins. It's just a bit of lulls and or uh, doldrums and everything like that. Um, but she was reactivated, so let's kind of skip to the exciting parts of her um, second half of the 20th century adventure. Uh, one interesting thing is she took part in the force that sank USS Nevada, or the ex-USS Nevada, after she was uh, had taken part in the uh, Bikini Atomic experiments, and uh, along with a destroyer heavy cruiser in Iowa. Uh, they failed to sink the ship because it's just so heavily armored, uh, so they sent some torpedoes into the side of it and said bye-bye. And she was decommissioned on the 24th of... or. Yeah, she was uh, formally decommissioned in the United States Navy Reserve Fleet on the 24th of March 1949. However, when the Korean War broke out, she was reactivated, and she was sent, um, or she was reactivated on the 14th of July 1951, and uh, formally commissioned on the 25th of August of that year, and was sent to Korean waters by the March of 1952, uh, where she relieved her sister ship, USS Wisconsin. Uh, she basically just spent the entire time... Uh, bombarding um, shore positions of the North Korean military. Um, so she uh, destroyed this list of things. Enemy troop concentration and supply areas, suspected gun positions, um, and she also shelled uh, a division headquarters with killed 100 enemy soldiers, destroyed six gun emplacements, and completely destroyed the headquarters. Uh, next day, she after this, she shelled warehouses, observation posts, railroading, railroad marshalling yards, and then um, shelled railroad lines at Tanchang, uh, where four railroad tunnels were destroyed before sending the Qingdong and Kosong for a two-day bombardment of North Korean positions. Iowa actually got within 48 nautical miles of the Soviet border with um, uh, North Korea and shelled uh, industrial and rail tra transportation centers in uh, Chon Changjin. Uh, and then she moved south to aid the U.S. 10 Corps, or 10 Corps, rather. Uh, then she also just kind of bombarded the rest of the war uh, in support of U.N. and South Korean forces, and she also res used one of her helicopters to rescue a downed pilot from the carrier USS Princeton. Um, yeah, so that's kind of interesting. However, she did support the destroyer USS uh, Thompson when uh, the Thompson was hit by a Chinese artillery battery after shelling enemy positions at Shangjing. At the time, the Iowa was operating 16 nautical miles uh, south of Shangjing, and then um, she rescued nine wounded men from the destroyer Thompsons uh, before uh, they retreated into safer waters to kind of figure out what they were doing. 
or rather uh, what needed to be done to uh, return the destroyer safely without any further loss of uh, man or machine. And in October 1952 alone, the USS Iowa continued to, en- or while the USS Iowa continued to engage in um, uh, short bombardment missions, she fired more than 16,500 rounds at the targets uh, with her main and secondary batteries. So this established eligibility for the United Nations Service Medal and the Korean Service Medal with one bronze star over the course of the war. So basically what happened after the conclusion, or well, the armistice at the end of the uh, Korean War, uh, she just participated in NATO exercises from the years 1953 to 1958 before being decommissioned at the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard on, or yeah, uh, the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard on 24 February. 1958, or the 24th of February 1958, depending on how you would like to say that. Um, and she sat in the reserve position for uh, more than 20 years, actually. Yeah, more than 20 years, like 24 years or so. And uh, she was reactivated in 1982, and she would serve until 1990. You might ask, why was she reactivated? Well, that's because Ronald Reagan wanted to expand the Navy to a 600-ship Navy. Um, She was reactivated in 1982 and moved under tow to Avondale Shipyard in New Orleans, Louisiana, uh, for refitting and equipment modernization in advance of her planned recommissioning. Uh, During the refit, she had her remaining Arlequin 20mm and Bofors 40mm anti-aircraft guns removed uh, due to the fact that they couldn't hit a speeding jet at, like, 40,000 feet or whatever. Uh, their altitude they're flying at. So um, two of the 5-inch 127mm uh, gun mounts were also uh, removed because they needed more place or more space for missiles. And this was a really extensive refit. Um, they actually removed most of the secondary turrets, uh, turrets during the uh, refit and just replaced them after the uh, refit was completed because of how extensive the rebuild was and this ship i mean if you look at pictures of the refit it is coated from bow to stern or i should say uh forecastle to fantail in scaffolding and workmen um she was then towed to english shipbuilding in uh Pascalua? oh god native american names i'm sorry they're really cool but they're really hard to pronounce um a place in mississippi uh, where over the next several months she was upgraded to meet the with the most advanced weaponry available at the time, and um, they were four Mark uh, 141 quad cell launchers for 16 AGM harpoon anti ship missiles, eight armor box launchers for 32 BGM 109 Tomahawk cruise missiles, and then uh, she was the first battleship to receive an RQ uh, 2 Pioneer unmanned aerial vehicle or UAV. This was just a targeting drone. Um, she could also carry up to eight of these, uh, just in case one of them was like shot down or lost or in some fashion. And they were used to uh, spot for, in addition to spotting for 16-inch guns, um, they were also used as a replacement for helicopters because helicopters needed fuel, and these RQ twos, uh, I don't think they needed fuel. I think they were electrically powered, but I don't quote me on that. Um, she also had received upgrades to her radar and fire control systems, although they did keep most of the stuff from, like, 1943 because it was just so foolproof that they couldn't figure out a way to improve it without replacing it with some electronic device that might fail, which is a mechanical is not going to fail on them. 
Uh, and then she also had uh, improved electronic warfare capabilities. I'm assuming uh, it's probably still classified, but uh, some sort of radar jamming sort of um, um, yeah, software and hardware. And then uh, she also received some chaff and things like that to uh, try and have any some countermeasures to the newer Harpoon missiles and things like that. Uh, she was formally recommissioned on the 28th of April, 1984, which was actually quite a bit ahead of schedule, and within her budget cost of $500 million for the modernization. So yeah, that just shows how expensive it is to build one of these ships if they're willing to drop $500 million on simply remodeling one. And then she was under the command of Captain Gerald E. Uh, Necknow. Or Nekau, I think is how you say it. And there's a reason why they were so ahead of schedule on these um, modifications. Because they uh, didn't really repair Iowa's engines and guns. Uh, they didn't totally complete it. So uh, the Navy basically said, yeah, we're not going to do the mandatory Board of Inspection and Survey inspection. Um, because it's not going to pass. But we want to stay on schedule for that 600-ship Navy. So we're just not going to do that which I find quite interesting, and you'll find quite interesting which, once you find out what happens later on with said guns that were not completely refurbished. Uh, but on March 17th, 1986, the Iowa uh, finally went, went underwent her overdue, I uh, can't speak English right now, um, inspection and failed. Well, there's a surprise. When you rush work, it doesn't get done right. Um, but uh, the... Um, Rear Admiral John D. Buckley recommended that the ship be taken out of service immediately because she could not meet her design specifications. But the Chief of Naval Operations um, and uh, the one of the higher-ups in the Reagan administration, I forget his name right now, uh, said, no, uh, we're not going to do that. We're going to figure out how to fix her and get her back into service because that's the largest gun that's currently sailing on the, sea, the ocean right now. So, well... Uh, fix it, and they managed to, and then she returned to waters around Central America to conduct more drills, and by the way, between the period of 1984 to 1986, she just conducted training cruises and things like that, and kind of Soviet intimidation tactics, then she finally started to do something interesting in 1987, so what was happening in 1987 was uh, Iranian ships were capturing uh, Kuwait's uh, oil tankers and supply ships, because they were also carrying arms for Saddam Hussein's regime in Iraq. Um, so this was kind of called, the, or would later be called the Tanker War, and Kuwait was requesting that uh, foreign powers escort their ships through the Strait of Hormuz and the uh, Persian Gulf because of the threat of the Iranian ships. And US, or the U.S. government was only too happy to oblige, except for the fact that they could not escort foreign-flagged ships uh, because of a U.S. law. So to get around this, what the U.S. military did was like, hey, Kuwait, if you flag your ships as United, uh, as American ships and you name them American names, we can escort your ships for you. And then so Queen's like, or Kuwait's like, okay, we'll, we'll do that. And then uh, so for the rest of the year, the um, Iowa escorted Kuwaiti gas and oil tankers reflagged as U.S. merchant ships from the Persian Gulf to the Strait of Hormuz. Because, <laughs> you know, getting around laws is what the American government loves doing. <laughs> um, so, next on the docket for the Iowa's life is um, its 
Well, it's uh, ill-fated shakedown cruise. So, uh, in February or the twentieth of February, nineteen eighty-eight, USS Iowa was um, uh, had or by the twentieth of February, nineteen eighty-eight, USS Iowa had departed from the Persian Gulf and had come back uh, to the United States by March tenth uh, for routine maintenance and then um, some an overhaul on the twenty-sixth of May, or uh, that was completed on twenty-sixth of May, and then. Um, or not the 26th of May, that's when the captain change took place. So the captain's uh, Fred Moosley replaced Larry Sequist as the captain of USS Iowa. And then on the 25th of August, she went left for a shakedown cruise around Chesapeake Bay. And what happened is, first, they uh, narrowly missed colliding with the uh, frigate Montessor. Then they nearly missed colliding with the destroyer Farragut. And then they nearly collided with the cruiser USS South Carolina. So, yeah, that was pretty ill-fated, and uh, then they also uh, ran aground on the soft mode outside the bay's main uh, ship channel near the Thimble Shoals. Um, so, yeah, it took them an hour to go off the shoals, and since it was sandy, there was no damage to USS Iowa, but I don't think that was exactly a good first cruise for the captain. Uh, I, can't, I can't exactly say it's his fault. might have been the watch officer's fault or something like that, or, or rather the deck officer's fault, but, like... Holy cow. <laughs> Talk about mistake after mistake after mistake. I mean, do you know how big the Chesapeake Bay is? It's huge. Like, you have a hard time seeing across it in most or in some spots. So, why did you collide with three ships? Or nearly collide with three ships is my question. But I guess I didn't know the circumstances, so I'm not going to judge. And next, uh, this is when the USS Iowa's life starts to get very, very interesting. Um, so, in 1989, one of the USS Iowa's turrets exploded, or had an internal explosion during a gunnery exercise at about 09.55 um, on April 19th, 1989. This killed uh, 47 crewmen, and this was on the B turret, and it was uh, only prevented from literally sinking the ship when a gunner's mate flooded uh, the number two powder magazine uh, to prevent it from igniting and igniting. Uh, combusting and event uh, initially the naval investigative service uh, the nis which is later named the naval criminal investigative service or ncis um investigators theorized that one of the dead crewmen uh, who was named clayton hartwig had detonated an explosive device in a suicide attempt at the end of, of an alleged affair with another sailor yeah breakups can be harsh on people apparently who would have thought that um and uh, to support this claim, uh, naval officers uh, pointed the evidence to the fact that there uh, was Hartwig's life insurance policy, which named Kendall Truett as a sole beneficiary in the event of his death. Um, and there was some unexplained materials in B turret when the investigation was completed, or was um, underway. And then he also had a un he was mentally unstable, is what they said. However, uh, the Navy was satisfied for the, with the investigation and its results. Um, the families of the member, crew members killed and things like that were not satisfied because it seemed to be kind of an assumption, not rather, or not really backed by much evidence. It was backed by some, but like not enough to have these uh, families have some closure. So Congress forced the Navy to reopen the investigation in October 1991. Uh, the second investigation was handled by independent investigators, but it was difficult because of the fact that the evidence had been cleaned up, the V-turret had been restored, and the Navy had just disposed of most of the stuff because they didn't need it anymore. They didn't think they needed it anymore. 
Um, it did uncover evidence, however, of an accidental power explosion, or powder, excuse me, powder explosion rather than sabotage. Uh, so that's, they, they figured now that it was probably just one of the heavily volatile, like, um, propellant, uh, bags that exploded inside the magazine or something of the sort, which caused the, uh, turret to explode, or part of the turret to explode and 47 uh, crew members to die tragically. Um, however, one of those powder magazines is like 50 pounds of explosives. So you'd think like the turret would sustain actual damage it'd be like displaced or something but i guess i don't totally know the structural damage that occurred in the uss iowa explosion and there's uh some more specific evidence uh into this e explosion that came later so um while the navy was uh modernizing the iowa her sister ship new jersey was dispatched to Le Le lebanon or lebanon excuse me i suffer with pronunciation uh, to provide offshore fire support. And at this time, USS New Jersey was the only commissioned battleship anywhere in the world. And um, in an effort to get support out to the New Jersey, the modernization of Iowa was sped up to a point where uh, the work was no longer quality and that she was in poor condition when she was recommissioned in 1984. And our friend Captain Fred Mosley was more concerned with the maintenance of the missiles rather than the training and the manning of the guns, which have enough power to rip the ship in half. So you'd think that maybe you'd train your crew a little bit more. But this guy doesn't exactly seem to be the sharpest knife in the drawer. So um, powder from one of the, the same lot as the one under investigation. The Naval Surface Warfare Center uh, Dahlgren Division, or yeah, Dahlgren, Dahlgren Division, um, was it was tested there, and uh, spontaneous combustion was achieved with the powder, which is generally not good when you have several tons of this stuff just sitting in your magazines. And essentially, what they said is that it was originally milled in the 1930s and improperly stored at a barge in the Navy's Yorktown, um, Virginia Naval Weapon Naval Weapon Station, uh, on a when the ship was dry docked in 1988. As this powder degrades, it gives off ether gas. And if you don't know what ether is, it's an extremely flammable hydrocarbon, which is sometimes used to give engines a boost when uh, they're starting, especially uh, engines that are powered by carburetors. So um, uh, this is highly flammable, obviously, and can be ignited by even just the tiniest of sparks. So uh, this made the Navy change its position on the matter, and Admiral Frank Kelso, Chief of Naval Operations, publicly apologized to the Hartwig family, concluding that there was no real evidence to support the claim that he intentionally killed the other sailors. It was merely just a coincidence that he was in a bad mental state. And then the Captain Fred Mosley was severely criticized for his handling of the matter, as he should have been, and or as we think he should have been. Maybe it wasn't his fault, maybe it was someone else's, or just kind of a coincidence that he didn't really train his gun crews maybe as they probably should have been, but, um, or maybe that decision was above him, could have been, so we can't necessarily blame him. Uh, and there was, as a result of the incident, the Navy changed the powder handling procedures for the battleships, which at this point there's only four of them that are operational. And after this, um, in 1990, she was, or October 26, 1990, she was decommissioned with a, serving a total of 19 years uh, in commission service. She'd obviously been around for a long, longer um, and she sat in reserve for a very, very long time. Um, she was at the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard for a long time, and there's actually a cool picture. Uh, it's an aerial view, and you can see uh, USS Iowa, USS Wisconsin. Um, you can see USS 
forestrial, the Iwo Jima. Uh, you can see uh, USS Guadalcanal and or USS Saratoga and USS Des Moines, which is uh, pretty cool. It, it's an awesome picture. It's sad to see that they're just sitting there doing nothing, but uh, it's a pretty pretty amazing shot. And then she was transferred around to a few different um, uh, reserve ports, and then she remained at uh, Satsun Bay Anchorage in San Francisco or somewhere out in California until 2011, and then. Uh, she became a museum ship in Los Angeles, and you can go visit her. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, I think, pretty cool. The last class of U.S. Navy battleships is preserved. Um, it would have been cool to see the first class U.S. Navy battleships preserved, which would have been the South Carolina class, but, you know, you don't you don't really uh, get everything you wish for. So at least we got a few of them, and um, I guess hopefully, hopefully someday I'll get out there to go visit her. But that is it for the history section of this episode. Uh, we're going to have a bit of an abbreviated um, World of Warships section of this episode just because it plays very, very similarly to the North Carolina. So if you want like a full in-depth uh, review of how to play this ship, you can go check out my North Carolina episode, which is, I think, only one episode back. I think it was the last episode, right? Yeah, I think so. All right, anyways, uh, you can just see it in the podcast feed. And I will see you in a few seconds. Greetings, fellow captains, and welcome back to Rank Amateur. We are just about to get going on the World of Warships section of the USS Iowa episode. So without further ado, let's get going on this section of the episode. So I really do like this ship. This is, I think, my favorite ship in the lineup so far, and that's even over the Wyoming, and the Wyoming's a very, very good ship, in my opinion. I really enjoyed playing that ship, but this... Ooh, this is a nice ship. It is... I I can't even put to words how much better it plays over the, the, um, over the North Carolina. North Carolina, I mean, it wasn't a bad ship, but it just really wasn't anything special. Now, the Iowa most certainly has the rank amateur seal of approval. So, um, let's get into the upgrades. So, first of all, you're going to go with Main Armaments Mod 1 because that's the only thing you're ever going to want to go with. You do not do a secondary build on the Iowa. I know you think you're really cool by being different, but you'll never... No, just just don't. Don't do it. Please. For your for your own mental health, don't do it. Um, I did Damage Control Modification 1. You can do Engine Protection, but I don't really notice this ship's engine getting knocked out. Uh, main battery mod 2 because the turret traverse is a bit slow and if you put the um, the main battery mod 2 on this you will not outturn your turrets versus you could if you do not have it on there uh, so that that's useful you could put artillery plotting room modification 1 on there but um, uh, the, the main battery firing range is pretty good you really don't need more than 20 kilometers honestly with the, with this ship because of how slow the um, our piercing shells are steering gears mod one don't go with propulsion because you'll never stop in the ship damage con you could go with that that uh, reduces the fire and flood uh, recovery time um, but the rudder shift is kind of atrocious on this ship so you you definitely want the the mod on there uh, concealment mod essential don't even bother with any of the other ones um, in the artillery plattering room mod two yes take it take it take it take it take it yes um you can take main battery mod three. I really don't recommend it though, because then you'll outturn your turrets, and that's that's not really good for how you want to play this ship. 
Um, and plus that extra uh, accuracy. Oh, yes. It just makes the ships... It, it really puts it on another level. Um, with all the, the different attributes this ship has, it's just... It's it's a joy to play. It really is. Um, okay, so commander skills now. Uh, preventative maintenance for first point. I, I do only have a 14-point commander on mine, so... Um, preventative maintenance, priority target, you... You really do want that. Um, you could do Vigilance, but this ship turns so slowly, even if you spot the torpedoes earlier, you're probably not going to have much time to escape them. Then you're going to do um, Adrenaline Rush, and then you're going to do Concealment Expert. And with Concealment Expert and Concealment Mod, you can get the detection range down to sub 13.5 kilometers. Yes, y you heard that right. A tier 9 battleship, fast battleship at that, can get its Concealment down to, like cruiser-ish range um for extra commander points or for extra recommended skills probably grease the gears uh you could take gun feeder if you just have an extra point but other than that i really wouldn't recommend it um and i would recommend taking enhanced uh torpedo protection uh because it does not have uh very good torpedo protection only 25 percent but with a 35 percent reduction it significantly increases the tankiness of the ship which it is already pretty tanky um and then i would do emergency repair expert probably uh you could do swift and silence as well because this ship makes 33 knots or so um, with if you have the um, propulsion mod which i chose to get the hull mod first so i don't have propulsion mod yet uh, so you do have that maximum speed of 33 knots, just like it did in, in real life, which is cool when they do match those speeds. And then you can also do, uh, uh, you could do super heavy AP shells. Really wouldn't recommend it, though, just because of the penalties of it. Um, and that's about all the skills I recommend. You could do an AA build. Uh, oh, also, you might want to do fire prevention uh, expert as well. Those are, obviously, that's going to add more to more than 21 points. It's more of just a pick and choose out of those. Um, but I, the ones I have are going to be preventative maintenance, priority target, concealment expert, torpedo, uh, enhanced anti-torpedo protection, and adrenaline rush. Those are the ones that I find most useful and valuable. And I believe I've neglected to go over the ship's stats, so we'll go over those real quick. Uh, my ship is not exactly in top configuration. Um, it has two more modules to research, the range mod and the propulsion mod, but other than that... Or good. The most important mod is definitely the whole mod. Just to get the extra hit points, because it does have a pretty chonky um, amount of hit points if uh, you fully upgrade it. So hit points: seventy-nine thousand. Uh, torpedo reduction with my skill is thirty-five percent. The artillery: you're gonna have main battery of four hundred six millimeter fifty caliber Mark Seven. A uh, reload time of thirty seconds. That's standard hundred degree turn time of around uh, with grease or with um, the. Uh, main battery mod 3, you're going to have 39.1 seconds. Maximum dispersion of 242 meters, or around there, if you don't have the artillery piloting room uh, mod 1. The HE shell is a 406mm HE-HE Mark 13 uh, shell. Maximum HE shell damage is 5,700. Chance of causing a fire on target is 36%, which is pretty much normal. Uh, HE shell armor penetration capacity is only 68mm, which is not too much for a 16-inch shell. Uh, AP shell is 406mm AP Mark 8 shell. Maximum AP shell damage is 13,500. Maximum range is 21.2 kilometers without any uh, mods on the range there. Um, and then 762 meters a second for AP shell. And then uh, 820 meters a second for um, HE shell. 
Uh, secondary battery, not super great. I mean, it's not bad, but it's not like Massachusetts-type accuracy. Uh, got 6.0, uh, second reload, 127mm HE Mark 32 shell. These are 127mm batteries, by the way. 5% uh, uh, chance of HE shells causing fire on target. 21mm of uh, penetration capacity. 7km uh, range, which isn't too bad. Uh, 792 meters a second for the uh, initial HE shell velocity. Um, so, yeah, I don't. I'd have to go to Wiles FT to get the ac actual accuracy of them. Uh, but I know that it's not as good as, like, Massachusetts or Georgia or anything. And this really isn't, even if they were good accuracy, it's not a ship to brawl in. It is not. A defense, I'll tell you it's good. Rated 93, 93 out. I. Just, I don't go through AA anymore. It doesn't really do much. Um, all right. So, uh, maneuverability. Uh, you start out at 28.8 knots, but you can get up to 32, or 33, rather. Uh, turning circle radius is an atrocious 920 meters, almost a kilometer to get this thing turned around. And in practice, it's probably going to take you, like, two kilometers, especially if you're cooking at 33 knots. It, This thing, it's not a standard dreadnought. It, uh, it takes a while to turn. It does. Its turning rate is atrocious. Just make sure you have your turns well thought out and planned. 13.7 uh, second rudder shift time, and I believe it starts out at like something like 16 seconds, which is like Buffalo's rudder shift time, just to put that in perspective how terrible the Buffalo is. Um, but it is better than the North Carolina, which has like a 20-second rudder shift time base. Uh, concealment, 13.1 kilometers with all concealment build. Uh, 9.2 kilometers by air. All right, the first one was by sea, by the way. Uh, and then detectability of firing rain guns and smoke is 15.6 kilometers. So yeah, you're not going to really be hiding in smoke too much. But this ship, it has, I would say, a comfortable playstyle. Iowa can do pretty much everything. And that's because of her pretty good armor layout. Now she does take a lot of penetration damage because she is coated in 32 millimeter plating. Her belt her side plating is actually a 32 millimeter belt, so you will take a lot of penetration damage, but it's going to be that kind of like crop penetration or whatever they call it, where um, it does like to 2,000 damage. It's the saturated penetrations is what it is. Um, so the fore and aft plating is your standard 32. There's no icebreaker here. Um, and then you're going to have a 19 millimeter uh, plating on a superstructure, but you do get a 38 millimeter deck and upper belt uh, in the center of the ship. Um, it is spaced armor around the sides, though, so it does reduce your chance of getting citadeled, but even something as low penetration at this tier, like a Palmer or something, can citadel you, and I've seen Petropavlovsk's and Dmitry Donskoy's and even, like, Buffalo's and stuff citadel broadside I was, right? You're not gonna, you're not a German battleship, or even, like, a French battleship. It's very... Very, uh, the armor depends on the angle. Angled, it is very strong, because if you look at the bow, the bow's very thin. It's a great candidate for ricochet checks. But if it's not angled, eek, it, it gets pretty hinky pretty fast. Now, it's not like the North, or the North Carolina, where you can get Citadel through the roof with them penetrating, like, 35 millimeters of armor. Um, it does have a 38mm plate, followed up by a 16mm plate, and that 38mm plate does have two layers to it, so it has to penetrate both layers of it. Um, the athwart ship in the rear, though, 16mm armor. Now, that is at the waterline, and there is a bit of the athwart ship that is 16mm above the waterline, but then you also have to 
basically go straight through the barbette armor and the, or another 25 millimeters plating but uh, you can get overmatched by a lot of stuff and then um so if a Yamato overmatches you from the stern uh, he only has to go through 16 millimeters of plating after that to get to your citadel so yeah it's this ship really you don't like getting shot at by Yamatos you don't just don't do it if you see Yamato, you really want to stay undetected as long as possible. However, uh, she did get buffed um, a little while back. I think I want to say like a year ago. Uh, her citadel was lowered to at the waterline. It does kind of peak above the waterline when you turn, but it is armored by 297 millimeters armor. And then below that is a little strip of 163 millimeters armor. That's below the waterline, though. Um, so, yeah, it is fairly well armored. Like, if you or angled, you will not get citadel. There is a large, large chance you will not eat a large chunk of damage. Um, because the forward athwart ship is 287 millimeters armor, so if it's angled correctly, you should not get citadel. However, the upper athwart ship is 16 millimeters armor, so you shouldn't, you shouldn't get citadel, but there's a weird angle where you could get citadel through the nose. Um, so that's why the ship is a bit more comfortable at range, because I... I was getting overwhelmed once, and I made the mistake of turning in front of a palmer, not realizing that he was on low health and had adrenaline rush going, and I may have taken 63,000 damage through the side in a single salvo. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. But this ship is, it does not, it can tank damage, right? It's got that large hit point pool. Uh, not quite as large as something like a palmer or the Frederick the Great. Um... Last time I checked, unless it's changed or something, or I'm just remembering wrong, we can go over to the tech tree and check the Frederick to Great's hit point pool real quick. And it does have 72,000 hit points base. Okay, so yeah, not quite as tanky as them, but you're still pretty tanky. You will take, you will eat a lot of Citadel damage, or not Citadel, uh, penetration damage, because you're coated in that thin plating similar to a French battleship. Um... But you're gonna stay at range. You're gonna play it like a cruiser, right? Like a Japanese cruiser. You're gonna, you're gonna go. You're gonna support your destroyers. You're gonna kind of go to like, I would say like the edge of the cap, the outmost edge of the cap. You're not gonna go sit off on the J line or whatever and do nothing for your team. No, you're not. You're thinking, man. You're gonna go to the cap and then you're gonna go to an island, right? You're gonna get behind that island and then your destroyer is gonna spot something for you. Behind that island, you're gonna get yourself turned around. You're gonna maintain 20 knots to get the uh, most turning. Uh, the lowest turning circle radius out of your ship, and then you're going to turn around and kite. And in Iowa, kiting is one of the most dangerous ships at its tier because it can angle in, bounce the stuff off the belt, turn around, and it has really good firing angles, or at least it seems like it. Um, the front turret does have a better, or A turret does have better firing angles than B turret, but you do not have to unmask that much. However, if you don't time it right, you can get citadeled, uh, you can't expose enough uh, angle to get citadeled. Occasionally, if the ricochet checks don't go in your favor, but um, you peek out, you uh, unmask your turrets, you fire, then you pull back. And you have 30 seconds where they'll probably get impatient and just fire back at you and ricochet. Unless they're a thinking man and they switch to high explosive, which in that case you have to deal with them relatively quickly because this thing does not like high explosive. 
Although it does have that 38mm deck, so Harugamos will shatter on your deck. And be like, well, they'll just uh, penetrate the superstructure. Yeah, but that's going to saturate so fast in a Harugamo DPM that they're not going to be able to really do much. So they start aiming for your deck to get some penetration on the actual hull itself, and it just shatters. So the only thing they're really going to be able to do is start fires. And if they have taken IFHE, then they're not going to start any fires. So therefore, they won't do a lot of damage to you. Um, assuming you don't just give them free damage by healing, um, but that's an entirely different story. So, uh, anyways, you're going to turn around behind that island, you're going to kite, right? And then as soon as you start, like, uh, let's say Des Moines broadsides you, you delete it, and then as soon as you start to win that flank, right, it, it's very clear that they're starting to turn around and pull it back. You need to turn around immediately. You need to go undetected, turn around, and push, and use that speed to lead the charge, because that is... Also, one of the Iowa strengths is pushing the team and creating a crosshair because it's so fast. It plays, it, it has a very unique play style, I would say. This is not a ship that you just stay in the back and shoot. That is not, you can do that and you might do pretty good, but you're not truly maximizing the ship's potential. You're not going to get those 140,000 damage games, 180,000 damage games or more. You're not going to regularly get those. You're, you'll get... 80, 100k damage. You'll you'll get damage, just not not a lot. And that's what's cool about this this uh, 13 kilometer detection range. You just go undetected. If things are getting too hot, you heal up and then you come back. And if uh, it, or it does have a bit of a heal or a heal improvement or improved heal, uh, which is very nice for a ship like this that kind of tends to eat a bit of damage. Not like the North Carolina, but it does eat a bit. Uh, so it's the pushing and kiting and pushing and kiting and pushing and kiting and each in each one of those you're making sure not to get close enough to the enemy to get detected you should never ideally be close enough to the enemy to get detected like surface spotted that is your ideal engagement range is around 13 to 16.5 ish kilometers or 17 maybe 18 because you can still reliably hit stuff out to 18 kilometers i would say after that it gets a little bit iffy but um that is that is what you want to do in this ship it's it plays much more aggressively than the north carolina but it, it can't just like sail in there and like whip up a whole flank like a palmer or something could uh it, it has to be careful but it's a very very powerful ship it is one i think right now it is uh, one of my favorite ships in the game. One of the, my favorite tech tree ships in the game. I really do like this ship. And no, it's not just because my I've been on an Iowa-class battleship. No, I actually do enjoy this this ship's uh, gameplay. Um, and that's why the Missouri is so powerful. Because in addition to this, when the Missouri is pushing, it also has radar. So if there's a destroyer that's detecting it and wants to know where it is, pop the radar and oop, there it is. And the credit earning coefficient is also nice. Um, I really do. This ship is fairly simple to play. It doesn't. It has a high skill ceiling, but it also has like a low skill floor. Like you can play this ship well without being like super unicum, or something like that. Now you can't just like mindlessly like bumble around the map getting citadeled. It does. It is a bit of a thinking ship, but it has huge potential. It does have does have a lot more carry potential than the North Carolina, and that's that's uh, that's a welcome sight. So uh, I'm relieved because I thought the rest of the line was just going to be like that, and I'm wasting my time grinding it. Nope, at least the Iowa. The Iowa's good. Um, so just of it, 
Is it worth getting? Oh, yes. Worth getting. Very much worth getting. Uh, you, worth pushing through that North Carolina. If you're at the North Carolina, just push through it. These 50 caliber, more accurate guns. I forgot to mention that. The, the accurate guns, oof, 2.0 Sigma. I love that. Um, consistently hitting targets. Consistently uh, getting large damage rolls. Uh, that is an uh, improvement over the North Carolina. North Carolina is very wonky dispersion um, because it can't mount that artillery plotting room 2 modification, which makes this ship very, very strong. Um, so just if it, use your accurate guns. You're going to push in behind an island, uh, kind of playing like um, if you've ever seen a Euro. I recommend watching Euro's video on the Atago. Uh, you're kind of going to use that play style. That's how this ship plays. You're going to push behind an island, or you're going to push, and then if you get, if you see that, oh my gosh, it's just just a Des Moines came over here or two cruisers came over here or something. Then you're just going to steamroll them. That's what you're going to do. But if it's, well, half the enemy team came over here and I don't really have that much support, you're going to go find an island, turn around behind it, or break detection some in some fashion, maybe a smoke screen or something like that. And then you're going to turn around and you're going to kite. And you're either going to burn your enemies because they're angled and you're firing high explosive, or you're going to pen them. And because it's super heavy armor piercing, doesn't have the greatest penetration, but it does have pretty good damage, um, and it has reliable hits. I don't, I think it may have a bit of improved pen angles. Maybe, maybe not. I'm not totally sure. Um, but yes, well, then then you'll probably end up winning the flank, even if you're kiting. You go undetected, turn around, push. Uh, some more enemy ships show up or something like that, or you you eat a bunch of damage, go undetected, turn back around, kite. It's it's. A pretty reliable uh, ship. It can play in many situations well. It can, it can't really brawl that well. But other than that, I mean, even it, it can brawl well if the person you're going up against is inept or um, if you're uh, very skillful with in the way you angle. I would say when you're about to come alongside each other, maybe try to angle in a bit just to get a bit of a cheeky angle off while you can uh, fire your gun straight into their broadside to try and delete them. Um, but I wouldn't recommend brawling at all. No secondary builds in this. So that is it for this episode of Rank Amateur. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, don't forget to check out uh, merchandise and send me an email if you have any ships you want suggested or you want on the podcast, uh, ships you want to suggest, I suppose. And I will most certainly look into uh, doing that ship for you. So until next time, captains.